here talking about why we are too busy not to pray. And what I want to do today, this is kind of an audacious title, it's kind of a, a massive goal, but I want to teach you how to pray like a juggernaut. A juggernaut is an unstoppable force, an immovable object. It's something that can't be defeated. We use this term a lot in the sports world. Man, a team that's just on a roll, that's on a winning streak, that nobody can stop, that team is a juggernaut. Like Everybody else is scared of them. Nobody else can touch them. I want to teach you to pray like a juggernaut. I think if we had time to sit down at Starbucks and for me to ask each of you individually, would you describe your prayer life as someone who has the prayer life of a juggernaut? Most of us would probably say, no, that's not me. That, that might be somebody else I know, maybe not even anybody else you know, but most of us would say, my prayer life is not there. But let me ask you this. How many of you would love to be able to say, I have the prayer life of a juggernaut? Anybody raise your hand on that? So yes, that's the kind of prayer life I aspire to. I do too. I'm not there. I don't have that prayer life, but I do believe that scripture shows us how we can get there. And so I'm going to show you 10 things today. We're going to kind of fly through this. I encourage you to get your notepad out, lean in, get ready, because we're going to be moving quickly. Uh, But I want to show you 10 things. And these aren't necessarily 10 steps. I'm not saying every time you pray you have to do all 10 of these things, and you're trying to remember, and you can't, and just throws everything off. But 10 principles that if you begin to incorporate these into your time with God, it's going to radically change the effectiveness of your prayer. It's going to radically change the way you approach your time with God. So we're looking at Acts chapter 4, and before we get to it, I want to summarize very quickly what's happening in Acts chapter 3 and and earlier on in chapter 4. Basically, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples, they go to the temple to worship. And as they go to the temple, they come to this gate called Beautiful, and they find this beggar. And this guy, uh, he can't walk, he's crippled, he's been there for who knows how many years. And he reaches out to them in, in this very famous passage, he says, hey, Alms for the poor. Can you give me a donation? Can you help a brother out? And Peter and John say, or actually Peter specifically says very famously, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And this crippled man who's been there for years, who's not had the ability to move for who knows how long, jumps up to his feet and he walks. And there is a buzz in Jerusalem. Because everybody knows that dude. Everybody goes to the temple. Everybody's passed him. He's hit everybody up for money. And all of a sudden, that guy who you've given that money to, kind of out of guilt, kind of because you just want him to shut up, all of a sudden, he's running around. Something massive has happened. And people start talking. They start asking, what's going on? And Jesus' name is glorified. It was like, the name of Jesus, he got healed. These guys prayed for him, and he received his healing. And the Pharisees and the chief priests are not happy about this. In fact, they killed Jesus because they were tired of hearing about Jesus. They thought if we nail him to a cross, if we end his life, then this problem will be over with. We won't have to hear about him anymore. We won't have to deal with him anymore. And so they killed him. And here it is just just a few weeks later, and the buzz, his name is flying through the streets faster than it ever did when he was even on earth. What is going on. So they grab Peter and John and they, they drag him them in to appear before this court. And the court, of course, is rigged. They don't really have any charges to bring against them, but they're going to shut them up. They're going to find a way to get this to stop. They're done with it. So they tell Peter and John, we're going to release you because we don't actually have any reason to keep you, but you don't need to use that name Jesus anymore. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about what name do we pray in? 
the name of Jesus? Because that's where the power is at. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they knew that's where the power was at. They didn't say, we don't want you to talk anymore. They didn't say, we don't want you to go out anymore. They said, we don't want you to teach in the name of Jesus anymore. Because they understood Jesus was the name that had the power. That was the name that was creating the buzz, that was creating all of the issue for them. So they said, don't, don't speak in that name anymore. And Peter and John say, hey, uh, you can do with us what you want, but we're not going to shut up. We have to tell people about Jesus. So they beat them, and they release them, and they hope that they've intimidated them enough where nothing else is going to happen. So that's where we pick up our story in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. It says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, to the other disciples, to the other followers of Jesus. We, we assume most likely they went back to the 120 to this tight-knit group of people who waited for the day of Pentecost, who waited for the Holy Spirit to arrive. The Lord has added to their number significantly. They're in the thousands now of believers. But, but we imagine that the closest people that they're with are the ones they go back to. It says, and they reported to them all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So here's the first thing I want you to write down. If you want to pray like a juggernaut, you need to know this. Prayer is your highest appeal, not your last resort. Prayer is your highest appeal, not your last resort. What's the first thing they did when they got released? They went and they prayed. Imagine if this happened today. Imagine if you got shut down for praying in public, for preaching in public, for talking about Jesus. What would we do? Man, we'd take it to TV. We'd call Glenn Beck. We'd call Rush Limbaugh. We'd be all over Facebook. We'd be organizing a rally, a protest. We'd be like trying to get the laws changed, calling our congressmen, calling our senators. What's the first thing they did? They went to God. See, they didn't call their lawyer. They said, I don't need a lawyer because I know the judge. Because I know the one who's in charge of it all. And so they didn't go to prayer as a last resort. They went to prayer because they knew it was their first appeal. It was their highest appeal. It was their most important thing they could do. I think a lot of us, we treat prayer kind of like the last kid picked at dodgeball. Like, I'm going to try drugs, I'm going to try medicine, I'm going to try doctors, I'm going to try finances, I'm going to try counseling, I'm going to try relationships, I'm going to try this, 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 and this, and then uh, prayer's like the last thing over there, and it's like, well, everything else has failed, I guess I'll pray. Sometimes we even say things like that, don't we? Do you ever hear the things we say about prayer? Well, I got nowhere else to turn, I'm just going to pray. Well, there's nothing else we can do, all we can do now is pray. Don't say that. Don't treat prayer like it's your last resort, like it's the last thing you can do. Prayer is your highest appeal. It is the first step when a situation arises, when trouble comes, when an attack comes on your family. The first thing you need to do is go to God, not the last thing. It's not all you can do when nothing else works. It's your highest appeal. Second thing you need to know if you want to pray like a juggernaut is this. When we seek the Lord together, it multiplies our power. We seek the Lord together and multiplies our power. We spoke on this a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not going to spend so much time on this point. But I don't think it's incidental that verse 24 says, When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. They raised their voices together. I love that. And a lot of times when we think of raising our voices together, what do we think we're doing? Singing, right? That's the only thing we think of, raising our voices together. But it says they raised their voices together in prayer to God. I've been teaching here for almost eight years at the 662 and at City Church that we don't believe that prayer is a spectator sport. 
that we don't sit around for the pastor or for whoever's on stage to pray and the rest of us kind of listen in and we start thinking about the ball game or we start thinking about lunch or whatever else is going on. But that prayer is actively engaged. It is a participation sport that we are all going to go before God together. This is one of the scriptural bases for that. They raised their voices together. They didn't get quiet. They didn't whisper. They didn't talk in their head. They didn't all hold hands and wait until somebody said amen and just imagine they were all praying. They talked to God together and they raised their voices. Why? Because the prayer of agreement multiplies your power. Because one can put 1,000 to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight. Because when two or more are gathered together, Jesus is right there with them. They understood the power of getting together. The third thing, if you want to pray like a juggernaut, the thing we see is that prayer is a conversation in the court of a king. Prayer is a conversation in the court of a king. You see, a lot of times you'll hear people say correctly that prayer is just, just having a conversation with God. Prayer is just talking to God. And it's true, and it's important to understand that. The Bible says that we can go boldly before the throne of grace. We don't have to, to have every formula down. We don't have to know every exact word to say right. We can talk to God. We can be real with God. But I've prayed with people, and I'm not joking. I've had at least these three things, and I'm sure there's more that I'm just not thinking of, that I've heard people refer to God as in prayer. Dude, eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus. <laughs> it happens. And homeboy. Okay? Is God your friend? Absolutely. He doesn't have to be, but he has chosen to be our friend, and we can be friendly with God, but he ain't your homeboy. I'm sorry. He's not. He is the king. And when we go before him, yes, he is our father. And yes, we approach him out of that relationship that he is our father and we are his child. But we still better revere him. We still better respect him. We still better show him the honor that he is due. Think of these people. These were Jesus' closest friends on earth. These aren't some random group of Christians. These are the people who knew Jesus the best. And when they went before God with a problem, when they went before the throne, how did they approach him? It says in verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said. They didn't come to God as, dude, what's up? How's it going? Sovereign Lord, they declared who he was. You are above all. You are other. You are different. You're not like me. You're in control. You're in authority. And I'm appealing to you on the basis of your authority, not on the basis of our friendship. We've got to see God as the king. It is a conversation in the courtroom of the king. Melody and I have this show that we like called Shark Tank. I'm sure some of you have seen it. But essentially, Shark Tank, the premise, if you're not familiar with it, is there's these five venture capitalists, these five filthy rich people who have nothing better to do than give money to other people in investments. And so if you have an idea, if you have an invention, you'll go on the show and you'll pitch your idea to them. Hey, I need 100000 for 20% of the business or 500000 for 30% or whatever you think it's worth. And you're going to negotiate and try to talk these guys into giving you money. And it's a very interesting show and some of these ideas are awesome some of them are terrible and some of them the idea is awesome but the presentation is terrible you can tell they didn't really put any thought into how they're going to convince these guys to give them their money and these sharks they're smart they can tell they'll tell them hey i think you got a great idea but i don't believe in you i'm not investing in you you're not going to be able to sell it you're not going to be able to make it happen and i think some of us, we're so casual in our approach to God. I'm not saying God's not answering your prayers because he doesn't believe in you. That's not what I'm saying. But some of us, we don't put any thought into how are we going to go before God. We don't. 
putting any emphasis on it. Here at City Church, we are casual in our appearance, man. We are casual in our dress because we believe it's not about the outward appearance. It's about the heart. But our heart better bow before him. Your heart better reverence him when you go before him. You better have a respect for the king when you're going and making your request known. Fourth thing, if you want to pray like a juggernaut, build your prayer on the solid foundation of God's sovereignty. That's what they did. They appeal to him as sovereign Lord. When you go to him, you are appealing to him. You're in charge. That's what sovereign means. You're in charge. You're the authority. You're calling the shots. I'm appealing to you because I know you're the one who has the power to change my situation. Build your case, your prayer on the solid foundation of God's sovereignty. I want to teach you in the next few points how to make a case before God. And I know that sounds maybe funny, kind of foreign to some of you. But I want to give you a whole new approach to how you go to God with your request, how to make your request known to him and to build a case that God is going to respond to. Verse 24 says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. See, they built their case off of who God is, off of his nature, off of his character, off of his authority. Very important. Approach God as sovereign Lord. Point number five, closely tied together. It's actually the opposite of this. Whatever you do, don't build your case off of who you are or what you've done. Don't appeal to God off of that. You think, I think sometimes we do this, that we try to convince God, God, I haven't said a cuss word in a week. It's time for you to bless me. You know, God, I've really had it together lately. I, man, I helped that old lady across the street. I cut the grass for my neighbor. Like we try to think of the good things we've done and remind God. Look at the stuff I've done. Bless me for this. We try to convince them that we're good enough. I heard a story recently about two high school sophomores who they, they had this real cake class, a super easy class, and they just thought, hey, we're going to coast through this. It was a football coach. You know football coaches, they're always the easy, easy scores. So they didn't really put any effort in. And so they get their midterm grade out, and they both have C's. And they're like, what's up? This is the e- we took this for an easy A. So like, we'll go talk to coach. We'll talk him into this. So they go to the coach, and, and they say, hey, man, we need to talk to you about our grade. And he's like, cool, what's up? So they, they explain, hey, we think we deserve better than a C. We're, we're trying to figure out why we got this grade. And he's like, well, let's go to the grade book. Let's see. Maybe I did something wrong. So he opens up the grade book, and what does he find? He finds a bunch of zeros for homework assignments that they never turned in. And he does the math, and he crunches the numbers, and he's like, whoa, you're right. I got your grade wrong. They're like, sweet, we knew it. He said, yeah, you're supposed to have an F. Do you want me to change your grade? All of a sudden, they were real happy with the C. You know what? The sea's going to work. It's okay. You see, I think a lot of times that's what we do. We try to go to God and we try to say, hey, we need a better grade. You need to open up the good book. You need to look at everything that I've done. And I did this right and this right and this right. And we forget about all the junk. Man, I don't have it together. I don't have it all right. I don't appeal to God based on, Lord, I'm a pastor and I could have done anything else with my life, but I gave it all to you and you need to bless me. It's not what I go to God on. That's not, that's not how he's going to reply to me. I don't go to God based on who I am. I go to God based on who he is. He's the one who's in control. He's the one who has the power. God, you are good. Your love endures forever. You are faithful. You are holy. You are kind. You are the one who can change my situation. I don't go to him and make my case based on me. If I do that, I'm not going to get what I want. I don't want God to grade me. I don't want justice based on who I am I want grace I want blessing I want everything that he has for me because what he has for me is so much better than what I deserve 
So I don't build my case on myself. Look at what they did. They didn't go to God and, and say, we were your disciples. We were by your side. We went and visited the grave site of Jesus. We, we've gone out there and we followed you. You sent the Holy Spirit to us. We waited in an upper room with no air conditioning for you. They didn't make their case on all their sacrifice to him. They made their case on who he was, not on who they were. Very, very important. Number six, build your case based on God's agenda, not yours. Build your case on his agenda, not yours. How do I know what God's agenda is? How do I know what his will is? How do I know his priorities? Find them in his word. Read his word. Find out what his word has to say for you. Last week we talked about the power of praying the word of God. And that's exactly what the disciples do here. It's such a beautiful illustration. Verse 25, it says, You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And they start to quote scripture. They start to quote and reference the word of God. They start to refer to his agenda. Why are they reminding God of his word? Are they trying to help him remember what he said? Of course not. God didn't forget anything. They're not trying to give God new information, which, by the way, you can't give God new information when you pray, whether you pray the word of God or you pray anything else. There's nothing new to, for him to discover when you talk to him. That's not why we conversate with God. We talk to God to change us, to change who we are, to grow closer to him, to get a better understanding of who he is. They're not quoting scripture to help him remember what he said. This morning as I was praying for this service, I, I built my case based on his agenda. I didn't say, God, Man, we really need a great service for our church. We really need to see somebody come to Jesus. I didn't say, God, it's really going to mean a lot to me if somebody gets saved today or if the, the place is full or anything else. What did I build my case on? I said, God, if we have a full house today, you're getting glory. God, if lives get changed today, that city's going to be better and people are going to start buzzing about Jesus Christ. I said, God, if there's a large offering today, if you bring in a, a great sacrifice from our people, we're going to have more ability to go out and tell more people about Jesus. I built my case on his agenda, not on what I want, not on what I need, but on knowing the word of God, the will of God. This is what you need, God, and I want to see your name lifted higher. I want to see more people know Jesus. I want to see more people miss hell. I want to see more people plugged in. I want to see more people serving because all those things are going to bring you glory. Build your case on God's agenda. In the book of Nehemiah, we see a man pray this way. His name, coincidentally enough, is Nehemiah. And Nehemiah had, had a vision to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The city had been basically destroyed. It had been plundered, and he had it on his heart. Man, all the nations, they look at Israel, and they mock our God. They, see that, they think that our God isn't anything because our city's been destroyed. And so he went to God, and he said, Lord, I want to rebuild the walls of this city. I, want to, I need an army to rebuild the walls. I need favor to rebuild the walls. I need an opportunity to rebuild the walls so that when people look at Jerusalem, they see you, so that you will be glorified. You know what happened? The city got rebuilt in record time. Why? Because he understood the power of the agenda of God. And when you get your agenda behind God's agenda and you begin to pray that agenda, Lord, maybe you're praying for your family. Maybe you're praying for your marriage. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. Don't just pray, Lord, I want you to keep me with my wife because I'm going to be lonely without her or because it's going to be bad for my kids. Pray, Lord, restore our family because when our family is restored, it's going to bring you glory. 
because people are going to be able to see that you are a God of restoration, that you are a God of second chances, that you are the God who makes all things new. Appeal to God based on his agenda, not simply on your own. You want to pray like a juggernaut. It's a great way to do it. Number seven, remind God of what he's done for others and what he's promised to do for you. I love this one. Remind him. What has God done for others, and what has he promised to do for you? This is the part where prayer starts to get exciting. This is the, start, the part where your prayer life begins to take on life, where you start to enjoy prayer, where you start to look forward to praying, when you remind God of all the great things he's done for others and the things that he's promised to do for you. See, so many of us, we go to God, and we're just like, God, would you please just bless me today? Please? Pretty please, would you just bless me? God, will you just, just be with me today? And we pray these little weak, sissy prayers, and I've prayed that prayer so many times. And my wife, I've made fun of that prayer and then prayed that prayer. And my wife's like, you made fun of that last week, and now you're praying that for us. What's wrong with you? Praise God for accountability of a wife. Uh, but, man, we got to pray bigger prayers. Don't you, God, just please do something. Point God to what he's done for others and point it to the promises of what he's going to do for you. It's exactly what the early church did when they faced the first real trial. They are facing persecution for the first time. The last person who got shut down for talking about the Son of God was the Son of God. And they nailed him to a cross. And now Peter and John are in trouble for using the name of Jesus. They know the consequences. They know where this is headed. They know what can happen. They know the dangers that they are facing. And so they've got this trial. They've got this persecution. And they go to God and they begin to make their case. But listen to what they ask him. Verse 27, it says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. They're not helping God remember his plan of redemption. They're praying in accordance with his will. Say, this is exactly what happened. Jesus had to die, and we get it now. We didn't get it before. We didn't understand it. We were trying to fight against it. I cut off a dude's ear, so you couldn't take Jesus. But now I see it. This was your plan. You knew what you were doing. And I want to be in accordance with your plan. They pointed to what God has done before. Here's a, a way to think of it. It's like, God, i got a shortage of resources right now. I just don't have enough. I don't have enough food on the table. I don't have enough money in the bank to pay the bills. I, I don't know what the situation is. But I just don't have enough. Maybe that's you. Appeal to God based on Matthew 14. God, Matthew chapter 14, there was thousands of people two fish and five loaves of bread. There wasn't enough to feed them. But you, in your sovereignty, in your power, you multiplied those fish. You multiplied that bread. You met all the need, and you gave more than enough because you are a God of provision. You are a God of abundance. And just as you did it for them in Matthew 14, I believe you can do it for me. So stand on the word of God. Stand on the things that you've seen him do. Lord, your word says, just like Dwindle used, and I had this in my notes, I promise I'm not stealing his stuff, that if I train up a child in the way he should go, that when he's old, he will not depart from it. Well, my kid's not old yet, but I'm getting old. If he doesn't get his act together, I'm going to age a little too quickly. God, I need to stand on that promise. I'm training him up in the way you should go. I'm training him up in your word. I'm training him up in your house. Lord, I ask you just to help show up, help his behavior, help him to see who you are, help him to develop a relationship with you right now. Stand on the promises of God's word. Stand on the things he's done for others. It's so much better than, Lord, could, could you please find it in your heart to send us some money? Could you please just, just break a little bit off? I know you got the cattle on a thousand hills. Can I have half a hill? Could you just help a brother out, like, just a little bit? Like, so much better than, than begging God. Or, or the, we say these other things, like, 
God, if it, if it be thy will. Man, I have pet peeve of mine. I talk about it. But, man, it drives me nuts when we pray, if it be thy will. But we don't study God's scripture to see what his will is. Man, we can see his will. There's a whole lot of things we don't have to pray his will about. Because it's right there in black and white and sometimes in red. We see the will of God from his scripture and we can stand on the promises of what he said he wants for his people. It's not about changing God's mind. It's about changing your heart. It activates your faith. Got anything you need rebuilt in your life? Point back to Nehemiah. God, Nehemiah needed a wall rebuilt. And he went to you and he appealed to you and he stood on your promise and your vision for Jerusalem to be a city that everybody could look to. And God, I need my family rebuilt. God, I need my finances rebuilt. God, I need this relationship rebuilt. God, I need my car rebuilt. I don't know what it might be. Whatever it is, but point him back to what he's done for others and stand on the promises of what he said he'll do for you. Number eight, if you want to pray like a juggernaut, don't always pray for God to make things better. Pray for him to make you better. Don't just pray. God, make my situation easy. Make my life comfortable. Take away my problems. Pray that you would become stronger, that you would be up to the task he set before you. These disciples are persecuted. They're humiliated. They're beaten. They're demoralized. And they come back and they pray this little prayer. God, would you please just make these mean government officials stop picking on me? That's not what they prayed. That's not what they ask him. It's amazing if you read what they prayed, what they ask in the midst of their persecution. They pray something so much more powerful in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They didn't pray for the persecution to stop. They prayed for boldness to preach in the midst of the persecution. They said, God, make me better. We want more of what you have for us. You gave us boldness on the day of Pentecost. You sent us your Holy, Holy Spirit. We need more of that boldness. We need to increase that boldness. I need to not be afraid. I need to not be intimidated. I need to be who you've called me to be. And then they say this, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Keep on seeing the name of Jesus popping up. I hope you're discovering a theme here. The power's in the name of Jesus. But they didn't pray, God, make my situation more comfortable. They didn't pray, God, help us to elect a new government so that they will love us and, and appreciate us. They didn't pray that the laws would change or that priests would change. They prayed that they would be better. Sometimes we ask God to deliver us from things when really God wants us to move through the thing, to be stronger, to discover him more, to understand who he is greater, to shine his glory in the midst of the struggle. Don't always ask for deliverance. Don't always look for a way out. Here's the thing. There's hundreds of promises in God's word. I've read many, many, many of them. I've memorized many of them. I don't know them all, but there's a whole ton of them. But I'll tell you this. In all my study of scriptures and every time that I've read through the Bible, I've never found a promise that God wants to make my life easy. It's not in there. I've never found that promise. I've looked for it. It's not there. He doesn't promise he's going to make life easy, but he does promise he's going to give me power for what I face. He does promise he's going to give me victory in the face of persecution. He does promise he's going to give me boldness to go out there and represent him. Stand on the promises that he's made. Don't just ask him to make life easy. Number nine, if you want to pray like a juggernaut, expect God to move in response to your prayer. Expect God to move. Expect God to move. 
expect God to move. When you pray, expect God to move. I hate it when we as Christians, and I'm so guilty of it myself, when we pray and then we're shocked that God answers our prayer. It's like, oh my gosh, God really did it. Oh, how heartbreaking must that be for God? I mean, I know he loves to show off, and I know there's probably a part of him that kind of gets a grin because it's like, man, they got childlike faith, and they just don't understand. But, man, we need to expect God to move. We need to expect him to show up, expect him to honor his word. Verse 30, they say, stretch out your hand to heal. That's what they just done. They just healed somebody, and they're asking, God, we want more of it. And perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. You want to pray like a juggernaut? You ever went before God with a group of your friends and the building you were in shook when you got done praying? I've never had that experience, but I will sign up for it right now. Be awesome. God would show up in that kind of way if we would pray in such power and such boldness and such faith that before we left here today, he just shook up City Church just a little bit just to show us, hey, I heard what you said, and I like it. Man, I'm, sign me up. I would love God to show up in that way. It doesn't have to happen that way. I'm not going to stop praying because it doesn't happen that way. But there's some juggernaut prayer going on when God shows up and shakes the place when the prayer's over with, when his presence is so thick and so heavy that he can't help but physically do something in that moment. When God's people begin to pray faith-filled, God-pleasing prayers, they become a juggernaut. The disciples were such an overwhelming, overpowering, unstoppable force. They were juggernauts because they knew how to talk to God. They knew how to pray. And if you read the book of Acts, it's amazing the things that they went through. It's amazing the things that they did for God's glory because they knew how to ask him and believe him for big things. They expected God to move. They asked him for big things. He showed up and showed up out in their lives. It brings us to our last point today. If you want to pray like a juggernaut, number 10, don't just ask. Be prepared to act. If you're going to ask, be prepared to act. You see, earlier I talked about how we, we treat prayer like the last kid picked in dodgeball, and we go to the doctor first, we go to the, the banker first, we go to all these other things in life first, and then finally we go to God. The truth is, it's not that we don't need to go to the doctor. I'm not against doctors. I'm not telling you not to take your kid to get an antibiotic. The truth is not that, that we ignore those things, those practical things in life. We just go to him first. We go to God, we ask him for something big, and then we prepare to act. And then we go out and we, in faith, put our prayer in motion. If you're going to ask, be prepared to act. I think a lot of us treat prayer like this, like, like God's supposed to be this cosmic genie and, and grant all of our wishes, and so we can just sit back on the couch and watch, watch the game. So we don't have to do anything. So we don't have to get our hands dirty. So we don't have to get involved. That kind of faith is nowhere in Scripture. Every time somebody asks for something big, they got to go out and seize it themselves. You got to combine your natural. God will bring the super. God will do the part that you can't do, but he will not do the part that you can. He's not going to let us be lazy. He's not going to let us be complacent. He's not going to let us be apathetic. He will do what no one else can do, but he will not do for you what you can do for yourself. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. They asked for boldness, and so God came and grabbed a hold of them and made them go speak boldly, right? No, 
I didn't make them go speak boldly. God gave them boldness, and then they had to go out and put that boldness into action. They still had to speak. They still had to open their mouth. They still had to release it. They still had to go out there knowing there's somebody with a spear and a sword who's trying to shut me down. They walked in boldness. They did not simply pray and let God do it. They didn't pray, God, fill up our service. They went out and they started telling people about Jesus. They didn't expect God to do all the work. They asked God to do what only he could do, and they were ready to go out and do their part. And if you're going to start to pray and ask God for big things, if you're going to start to pray faith-filled, life-changing, history-making prayers, you better be prepared to do something better be prepared to take some action. You're going to pray for God to do something in your family. You better be prepared to change some things. You better be prepared to reprioritize some things in your life. You better be prepared to start responding to what God has for you because he's not just going to fix your family so that you can continue to make all the same mistakes that you made before. He's going to restore your family so that you can begin to live better. He wants to make you better. He wants to make you something. He wants to turn you into a juggernaut. But we'll never be juggernauts if we don't hear what God says, if we don't respond to him and pray to him and ask him for something mighty and approach him as the sovereign Lord and appeal to him based on who he is and not who we are, but then go out and put some action to it. So this week, I don't know what you're asking God for. I don't know what your big request is. I don't know what the situation facing you is. But whatever that situation is, I want you to ask him for big things. I want you to ask him for something awesome. I want you to ask him for the thing that you are looking for. I want you to put some action to it. I want you to figure out what is the step that I need to take to make this happen. Instead of just praying that that your long-lost family member would come to Jesus, maybe pick up a phone, give him a call, and tell him, hey, I just want you to know Jesus loves you. He put it on my heart today to call you. Or maybe you write him a letter. I don't know what it might be. But instead of just asking God to do something, ask God and then act. But watch what he does. I want us to be an army of juggernauts in this community for the glory of Jesus. I want us to be prayer warriors. I want us to be men and women who when we ask God something, he answers. The next time I go to you and say, I want you to start praying about elders, and I tell you, hey, I want you to think of who are the people that you would go to to ask for prayer. I want you there to be way more names than you got rooms on your ballot because we got an army of people in this church that when they go to God, he responds because they're prayer juggernauts, because they pray the way that God's laid it out. You want to be that kind of person? I know you do. Let's go out and let's do it together. Let's pray.